right. Well, uh, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Garrison, and I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas. We are so glad that you are here this morning. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, if you would, take out your Bibles, take out your copy of Scripture. We're going to be looking at Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are white and blue paperback Bibles in the back. You can grab one of those. Go grab one of those. Turn to page 474. You can just Google the passage, Matthew 7, 13 through 14. We are in what's called the ESV translation. And uh, we are going to be looking at Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Uh, If this is your first time here or if... Uh, You've been visiting with us for a little bit now, and you haven't got uh, plugged into what God is doing here in our church family. If you take a moment this morning, fill out a a Connect card. They are inserted into the bulletin that you received when you walked in this morning. It's a good way for us to get to know uh, a little bit about you, know how we can get in contact with you, uh, and perhaps just schedule a time to get together, talk through any questions you might have and what it looks like to be uh, a member of God's family at Veritas. Uh, we'd love to be able to, to get together with you. There's also a space for prayer requests on the back of those Connect cards. We'd love to know how we could be praying for you this week. If you just jot a few things down there that we could be praying for you, we'd love to be able to pray for you. We'd count in honor to be able to do so. All right, we are looking at Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Um, I did it again this last week. We were supposed to look at Matthew 7, 13 through 20, um, but as I dug into the text, I thought we need to pause here and slow down for a little bit. Uh, And so we are looking at Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Here now, the holy word of God, the words of Jesus Christ. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you make us sober now before your word? Would you help me to to know and to feel that I am a dying man preaching to dying men and women? And would you cause that sobriety to fall upon each one of us in this room And to hear these words with soft, supple hearts, ready to receive the seed of the word, to to produce 30, 60, 100 fold. Help our hearts not be hardened. Help our hearts not be like the beaten down path or the thorny soil or the rocky soil. Cause our hearts to be like that fresh, fertile soil. Prepare us by your spirit now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Those are the words 
of a famous poem written by Robert Frost entitled The Road Not Taken. And now most of us have probably not read the entirety of the poem, and so most of us are not familiar with the sort of ambiguity of the poem. If you go back and you read the entirety of the text, you find that it's it's not exactly clear whether or not the difference made by walking on the less traveled road is supposed to be positive or not. It is possible that the, the difference made by walking the less traveled road was actually that of heartbreak and disaster. Either way, it, it is clear from, Frost, from Frost's poem that the two roads that he lays before us in the poem represent two different ways of life. There's the one more traveled road that represents conformity to the broader culture, kind of going with the crowd, going with the flow, the, 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 the path of least resistance. The less traveled road, on the other hand, represents non-conformity to the broader culture, not just going with the flow, but setting out on a way of life less common to humanity. And it just seems that Frost kind of left it up to the reader to decide whether or not the road less traveled leads to heartbreak and disaster, or if it leads to fulfillment and satisfaction. The words of Jesus that we are considering this morning, on the other hand, do not leave such questions unanswered. Like Frost's poem, Jesus presents us with two different paths, two ways of life, two gates through which to enter to get on these paths. There's the one that's, that's broad, more people travel on it, it's more comfortable, you just kind of go with the flow of things, you go with the crowd, you go with the path of least resistance. And then there's the less traveled path. The one that's, that's difficult and hard and narrow and less people travel it. And there's, there's no question though, there's no question which one is better because Jesus says that one leads straight off of a cliff, one leads to destruction, and the other one leads to home. The other one leads to life and life abundant. And so that's what we're going to consider this morning. Let's look together at the broad way, the narrow way, and the decision you must make. The broad way, the narrow way, and the decision you must make. First, the broad way. Jesus says in verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. So as we mentioned This last week, Jesus here is entering into the conclusion of his sermon. He has introduced uh, uh, to us this way of flourishing. He has explained to us this way of true human flourishing, and it's through what we've been calling whole person righteousness. A, A righteousness that doesn't just settle for outward conformity to superficial moral standards, but a righteousness of action, a righteousness of speech, and it's even a righteousness of the heart. It's a righteousness that even seeks to conform our thoughts, our emotions, our desires to the will of God in Christ Jesus. And now, as he is concluding, he is saying, choose which way you will go. 
Will you walk on the path of blessedness and flourishing? Or or will you walk on the broad way, the easy path, the way of sin and self-righteousness and a mere appearance of righteousness? And as we talked about much in the beginning, this, this way of following Jesus, it's not the easy way. If you recall what we reflected on when we began looking at the Beatitudes so many months ago now, we saw that the way to blessedness and flourishing, the way to life, is low and it's cross-shaped. It's hard, it's difficult, it's narrow, it's the difficult way. The broad way, on the other hand, is easy. In fact, the ESV just does the work of interpretation for you in verse 13, and it translates the word as easy, but it actually means something closer to broad. It's wide, it's it's spacious, it's roomy, there's a whole lot of people that go on it. It's comfortable, it's easy. That's why so many people take it. It's the path of least resistance. Now, if you're on a hike in the woods and you come to a fork in the road with two different paths, One path is wide, and it has nice, you know, gravel on it, and it looks like it's been well walked on by others in the parks department. They keep it trimmed up and and nice, and they do all the necessary maintenance on it and all that. The the other path, though, it it has spider webs. Everyone hates walking through spider webs, right? There are trees and branches obstructing the path. It looks like it hasn't been walked that much. There's poison ivy on the sides, and you're wearing shorts. There's thorn bushes up ahead. Which which path do you think you will choose? You typically will choose the easy way, of course, especially if you have young children with you. But the easy path leads you off a cliff, and the other one leads you home. So if you go the easy path, You make the wrong choice. But if all you're looking for is an easy route, the path of least resistance, then there's no question which one you're going to choose. Now, let's be clear about what the Broadway is here, because here's my fear. I'm afraid that some of you hear that there's two ways to live, two paths, and you think that the choice is between morality and immorality, that the choice is between religion and irreligion. But, but here's the thing, the, the main thing that Jesus has been confronting throughout the Sermon on the Mount was actually not blatant immorality and irreligion, was it? No, rather, the main thing he has been confronting throughout the Sermon on the Mount is what he calls hypocrisy, and this hypocrisy he's been confronting was a mere conformity, to out, a merely outward conformity to superficial moral and religious standards. He's been confronting moralism without inward transformation. He's been confronting moralism in religion without inward transformation. He's been confronting those who were satisfied with mere religious observance without the renovation of their souls. So it seems clear that that one can walk on the Broadway in more than one way. You can walk on the Broadway in in a religious way and in an irreligious way can walk on the Broadway in a religious manner. You can walk the Broadway as a legalist. You can walk the Broadway as a moralist. You can walk the Broadway as a self-righteous hypocrite. You can walk on the Broadway as someone who, according to Matthew 6, prays regularly. 
You can walk on the Broadway as someone who, according to Matthew 6, fasts regularly. You can walk on the Broadway as someone who, according to Matthew 6, gives money to the poor. You can walk on the Broadway, according to Matthew 5, as someone who doesn't murder or commit adultery or, and on it goes. And of course, that doesn't mean that murder or adultery are permissible. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be disciplined in our prayer and fasting and that we shouldn't be generous to those in need. Of course not. Jesus expects that of us, absolutely. But, but please recognize that you can be a pretty good person. You can be a pretty good religious person even while you're still walking the Broadway straight to hell. And here's why. You can be a pretty good religious person without knowing and trusting in Christ. In just a few verses from these verses, we're we're looking at this morning, Jesus talks about this future final judgment wherein many will say to him, look, Jesus, didn't we do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we do many good things in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. There is a danger in potentially fooling yourself and fooling others into thinking that you know and trust Christ simply because you appear to be doing a bunch of stuff for him. All while you're lacking true knowledge and sincere trust in Him as Savior in Christ. Of course, one could also walk the Broadway in an irreligious manner as well. There's even a number of different ways that one could do this. Probably the most common in our current cultural moment is that people often adhere to an, an ideology and a way of life that we can call expressive individualism. And Trevin Wax, he has a, a great series of, of blog posts on the Gospel Coalition that kind of explain what this is. And he captured it very well in a single phrase. He said that expressive individualism believes that the purpose of life is to find one's deepest self and then express that to the world forging that identity in ways that counter whatever family, friends, political affiliations, previous generations, or religious authorities might say. To put it succinctly, it it seeks to remove all external authority, leaving the only authority being the the, the way someone feels inside. You know, if you pay attention, this is actually what we're trained and catechized in through Disney movies our whole lives. You pay attention to the, the narrative arc of Disney movies. The vast majority of them are stories of the triumph of expressive individualism. That one's for free. Expressive individualism, it, it basically boils down to doing whatever the heck you want. Whatever you want to do sexually. Whatever you want to do financially, whatever you want to eat, whatever you want to drink, whatever you want to think, whatever you want to spend money on, whatever you want to say, 
Whatever it is you feel on the inside, then it's not wrong. Do it, say it, be it, because that's where true freedom is found. That's expressive individualism. And the reality is, is that if you walk, if you follow the broad way through expressive individualism, you're on a collision course with reality. And I think we know this to some degree. And we're starting to experience this in our culture in a, in a kind of temporal sense. Of course, experience and even now much research conducted in, in recent days would show that this cultural norm is simply not working. People are lonelier than ever. People are increasingly racked with anxiety as a culture. We're becoming more and more polarized, more and more atomized. But you know, that's actually not the worst part about following the Broadway via expressive individualism. The worst part about walking the Broadway via expressive individualism and walking the Broadway in any sense, in any manner, is that its end is destruction. And that's not just true for those whose way of life could be described as expressive individualism. That's true for everyone who walks the Broadway, whether they do so so in a religious manner or an irreligious manner. The Broadway is ultimately suicidal. If you walk on the Broadway, you're on a collision course with reality. And that reality is this, there is a God who created you to live according to a particular design. And that design is revealed in His commandments, it's revealed in His word, it's revealed in what He calls us to. And when you continually choose to live outside of His intended design as His image bearer, He will one day finally and completely give you what you want. That's what final judgment is. It's God giving you precisely what you want. It's God giving unrepentant people what they want. Life and eternity without Him. Life and eternity outside of His good and gracious will, namely hell. And that's what Jesus is talking about here when he says that the broad way leads to destruction. That's the worst part about walking the broad way. It's not just that it doesn't really work and it leads to brokenness now. The worst part is that its end is destruction. Therefore, while it seems good, while it may even time see right, while it seems easy, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. And that's why Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. And he goes on in verse 14 saying, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Look with me now at the narrow way. Again, the ESV translators do the the work of interpretation for us here. They translate it as the way is hard that leads to life. That word translated as, as hard literally means like narrow, compressed, closed in. It means tight. Sometimes it's been used to talk about pressing grapes in a wine press. Sometimes it's used to talk about small and cramped living quarters. If you live in a small house or if you have a small room, this might be the word used to describe your house or your room. But it's getting at this idea that the narrow way is hard, it's difficult. At times it might feel a bit cramped. 
It might feel like that path with obstructions and spider webs and poison ivy along the border. At times, it might even feel like you are being crushed like a grape in a wine press. But of course, the outcome of crushed grapes is the joy and blessing of wine. And in the same way, walking this narrow way leads to life. It leads to true joy and eternal blessedness. Now again, I want to be clear here because often when we start talking about the difficulty of the narrow way and we start talking about its narrowness, I'm afraid you might think that what you're called to is, a, is just merely a strict and rigid moralism. So let's be clear. What we're called to when we're called to the narrow way is nothing more and nothing less than Jesus Christ. We're being called to Jesus, to trust in him and to swear ultimate allegiance to him. The narrow way is as narrow as Jesus. Actually, in John's gospel, Jesus will actually tell us that he is the gate, John 10, 7, and that he is the way, John 14, 6. I know we might be tempted to think that the narrow, of, of the narrow way as merely subjecting ourselves to certain demanding moral standards, and there are demanding things that we're called to in Christianity. But ultimately speaking, we're not merely called to adhere to certain standards, we're called to a person, namely Jesus. With that said, the person we're called to, Jesus, does call us into a way of life that is demanding. As with any relationship, there is a, 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 the demand of a certain way of life laid upon us as we enter into that particular relationship. It's similar when you enter into a marriage. For example, when you, when you marry someone, your way of life becomes narrower. It becomes restricted. You're called to live a certain way as a result of that covenant relationship and in order to seek the health and contribute to the health of that particular relationship. There are obviously certain demands laid upon you for how you behave sexually when you are married. There are new boundaries that you need to understand regarding your relationships with those of the opposite sex. And then even just little minor things, like if you're coming home late from work, you now have someone that you need to call or text to let them know. You need to learn to stop leaving your dirty towel on the bathroom floor. Those are important things. Life in and with Jesus has certain demands that we adhere to in order to live as disciples and followers of Jesus, in order to live life in and with Christ. And let me emphasize the point. It's not easy. Following Jesus is not easy. Discipleship under Jesus, being a student of Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus is a rigorous and demanding way of life. And that's why when he calls people, when he calls us to follow him, he doesn't say, pick up your pillow and follow me. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Our crosses, the cross is an instrument of execution. We're called to, to, to deny ourselves. We're called to, to put to death what is sinful and evil within us. We're called to cast down the idols that our hearts and their desires so cling to. He calls us to give ourselves and everything we are to Him. 
no longer is what you feel and think the guiding principle for, for your sexuality, for your finances, for your marriage, for your parenting, for your vocation, for whatever. Now you take everything that you are and everything that you have and you submit it all to Christ as your King and Savior. And at times it may even feel like you are being crushed and pressed. But remember, wine is the result. Life is the result. True life, eternal life, flourishing life is the outcome of walking the narrow way. So I want you to consider, are you on the narrow way? Are you truly following Jesus? Because remember, it's entirely possible to walk the broad way in a religious manner. It is entirely possible to be a nice religious person walking the broad way straight to hell. Let's ask some questions. Kind of diagnostic questions to help us consider this. So some diagnostic questions for discerning if you're on the narrow way. First, do you find Christianity demanding or, or not so demanding? This, this may be the most obvious question. Do you find Christian Christianity? Do you find the Christian life demanding? You know, this last week I ended up reading this random blog post by this theologian named Chuck Lawless who's giving a list of things, nine surprises that often uh, surprise missionaries when they return home to America. And the second one he mentioned is the shallowness of the American church. He says that these, these missionaries he talks with often have, have often been in places where sacrifice is the norm for believers and that American Christians just don't always show that kind of commitment. And of course, it's, it's true that we don't experience persecution like many Christians, many brothers and sisters do around the world. Yet following Jesus is still demanding. Forgiving others when they sin against us, even grievously, is hard. Denying sexual urges and temptations is hard. Sacrificially giving money to the mission of God is hard. Waking up early in the morning, every morning, to pray morning after morning after morning is hard. Confessing hidden sin is hard. Giving your heart to Christ Jesus is hard. It feels like death in a very real way it is. The Christian life is demanding, and if it's not demanding, then we might not be on the narrow way, but rather on the broad way in a religious manner. Fooling ourselves with outward appearances, all the while we are inwardly dead. Here's another. Has there been anything recently that you've really struggled with or wrestled with about the faith? Has there been anything that you've struggled to believe? Has there been anything recently that you've struggled to make sense of? Has there been anything recently that you've struggled to obey? Because here's the thing. If, if you have a Christ that never challenges you, contradicts you, confronts you, or convicts you, you may not have the Christ but a cosmic butler instead. 
If the scriptures never disagree with you or cause you to change your mind, it may not be the scriptures you believe, but yourself. And you may just be on the broad way rather than the narrow way. And lastly, do all people speak well of you? Jesus said that he did not come to bring peace but a sword. Meaning that because of his people's ultimate allegiance to him and his kingdom, there would be many who would hate them and break off relationships with them. There would be homes divided because of him. There would be friendships that are disintegrated because of him. And of course, you know, such truths have been used and abused by Christians many times to simply excuse being a jerk. Jesus doesn't condone being a jerk. He calls us to be people who love. Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, love is generous. Yet there are certain truths and ways of life that we simply must lovingly not compromise on in our following of Jesus. Our refusal to compromise on the exclusivity of salvation in Christ Jesus alone. On biblical sexual ethics. On the final judgment. On, on, on church discipline practices. Other similar unpopular aspects of the faith will likely get us into hot water with our peers and friends and family, but we must ask ourselves the question, do we follow the world in its way? Or do we follow Jesus in his way? Do we follow the broader culture or do we follow Jesus' counterculture? Are we on the narrow way or the broad way? And be sure of it, if you're on the narrow way, not everyone will speak well of you. There will be some who speak ill of you. There will be some who misunderstand you. There will be some who understand you but intentionally speak about you and accuse you falsely. There will be gossip about you. The reality is, is that if you're really on the narrow way, you will find Christianity demanding. You will really struggle at times to understand or obey certain aspects of the faith and not everyone will speak well of you. Some will hate you and slander you and break off a relationship with you simply because you're faithfully following Jesus. Following Jesus is difficult, it's hard. And so there's the broad way and the narrow way. Then we come to the decision you must make. You have one decision, two choices. The narrow way or the broad way, difficulty or ease, the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God, expressive individualism or submission to Jesus, hypocrisy or the transformation of Jesus, destruction or life. And be sure of this, to not make a decision is to make a decision. There is no middle way here. To not make a decision to just kind of go with the flow, is to choose the broad way. If you don't choose Jesus, you choose the broad way. And Jesus' words here 
communicated a, a certain kind of urgency. This word translated as enter here in, the, in verse 13, you may not see it in the English, but, but it's said with a kind of urgency. It's said with a strong imperative tone. Maybe we could just put an exclamation point behind it. Enter, enter the narrow gate. He's pressing his hearers to make a decision in light of everything they've just heard in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's calling them to make this decision with a great deal of sobriety and weightiness. And we've already touched on why. The reason is that these two roads have two different outcomes. They lead to two different destinations. The broad way leads to destruction and the narrow way leads to life. For those who walk on the broad way, for those who stick to the path of least resistance, who go the way of moralism or legalism or self-righteousness or who settle for the mere appearance of righteousness, for those who look for satisfaction and expressive individualism and all others who walk on the broad way, there is a day of judgment coming. And that day will be a day of condemnation and destruction when the Lord Jesus will give you what you truly want, a life outside of his loving kindness and grace, an eternity in the lake of fire. A place wherein words fail to describe the horrors of what one will meet there. And, and I know that this, has been, this kind of reasoning has been used to manipulate people into making decisions that they didn't really want to make in the past. That's not what's going on here. The truth is, if Jesus did not warn you, and if I did not warn you of the coming destruction, that would not be very loving. As Penn Jillette, magician and, and comedian once said, when someone witnessed to him the gospel to him after one of his shows one night, he's not a believer. And he said, listen, I, I respect when people proselytize. The reason is, if I think you're about to get hit by a bus and I don't try to stop you, I can't really be said to really love you. No, if I love you and you're about to get hit by a bus, this bus is bearing down on you. There's a, a, a moment in time where I yell at you and jump and, and remove you from the path of the bus. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is warning you. He's saying, listen, this path, this broad way that you're on leads to destruction. But for those who walk the narrow way, Jesus says the outcome is that of life. And trust that it will be life abundant, just as words fail to describe the horrors that one will meet in the lake of fire. Words fail to capture the beauty and abundance and excellence and goodness of what we will receive when the kingdom of God arrives in full, the second coming of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, No eye has seen nor ear has heard, no heart can even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. It will be a glorious day. It will be a day wherein Jesus makes all things new. Heaven will come down and invade this world, beautifying it and glorifying it with the very presence of the living God. 
And not only will he beautify and glorify this earth, Christian, he will beautify and glorify you by raising you from the grave, giving you a glorious body just like his own glorious body, as Philippians 3.21 says. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more suffering, no more sin, no more wounds, no more broken relationships, no more thorns or thistles, no more struggles, no more addiction, no more. It will be nothing but the best day, day after day after day. And so here's the decision laid before you today, this minute, right now. Stay on the broad way or enter the narrow gate. If you're here today and and you have not sworn allegiance to King Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he is calling you. He is beckoning you. He is inviting you into life in and with him. You are at a point where two roads diverge in the woods. Take the one less traveled. It will make all the difference, I promise you. Trust in Christ. Follow him. Make that decision today, here, now, in this moment. Life will be hard at times, but your joy will be full. Or others, perhaps you are following Jesus today. My encouragement to you would be this, persevere. The road is narrow and difficult and hard, And sometimes it may feel even like you're being crushed and compressed. And that broad way may look comfortable. The ease of the broad way may look attractive, but its end is death. And at times you you may feel like giving up, but when those days come, remember this. The Christ that is calling you continually to the narrow way and to the difficulty of discipleship, he's not calling you to anything he hasn't already walked in himself. In fact, the only reason we are called to walk this narrow way is because he's already forged the path for us. It's a path he's already walked. Here's the thing. Although he's walked this path and he's done so perfectly, he still saw fit to taste death and destruction, the death and destruction that you and I deserve for walking on the broad road in the first place. You see, that's part of what the cross is about, Christian. Be assured of this. You and I deserve the destruction that comes from walking the broad way because each of us each and every single one of us has walked that way ourselves, but Christ, although he didn't deserve it, and because we do, he tasted that destruction on Calvary. The judgment that you and I deserve fell on him. He willingly took it upon himself so that you and I might have that eternal life and abundant life in the age to come. So Christian, preserve, persevere in the narrow way. Christ has already forged the path and the life that he purchased for you is at the journey's end. And if you're not a Christian, enter through that gate and walk on that narrow way. Receive Christ, trust Christ, follow Christ. It will make all the difference. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, would you seal this word upon our hearts as we prepare to come to the table? And would you work in us in this moment as we commune with you through the Holy Spirit? Would you strengthen us through that communion, strengthen our legs, strengthen our hearts, strengthen our hands, strengthen our wills to continue to follow you and to be faithful to you in light of your infinite faithfulness to us in your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.